0: So real quick, I want to let you know about something about next week uh, here at our church. We've done unceasing prayer before. We've, we've prayed without ceasing for days and for weeks, and we're going to continue to do that. Just so you know, if you have not done that, you should come do it with us. Uh, it happens usually in that lighthouse right there, and we want that to be someday be a place that never stops praying. But that's a big goal. But you're invited to that. But next week we want to try to, in a way, do some unceasing worship. In Revelation four and five, the worship never ends, right? So next week, Sunday, there's going to be worship all morning. So starting, I think, like 7.30 in the sanctuary, I think about 8.30, 8.45 in here, there's going to be worship. Different kinds. Outside, When there's not a service happening, there will be worship in this space until like 1 o'clock. So if you want to come, if you want to linger, if you want to just sit under different, different kinds of musicians and different kinds of music and just enjoy worship, sit in quiet, whatever you want, you're invited. I'm kind of curious to see what happens. You know, I heard a story once uh, a church decided they were going to read through all the Psalms and they're going to see if people want to come and listen. And they thought no one's going to come. But people started to come and sit and listen to the Psalms being read. It took like 10 hours. And people came and they just sat and they just lingered. And they just kind of stayed. And they were shocked that people wanted to sit and just listen to the words of God. What might happen in this space if, if his, God's people just come and just worship for a whole morning? So you're invited. Just want you to know that. That's first. Second, uh, I'm in here next week again. And uh, I have a question for you. I think I have a slide for it. Slide number four. Uh, it's uh, that four. Uh, I think it's four. Four? Yeah, that one. Uh, Next week, is in the, in the, in the, on the teaching schedule, it's a summary of Revelation. A summary. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in here. So my question, though, is what has resonated within you in, this, in these words, the Word of God, and how could we experience it together next week? So I am wide open, flexible. I'll try just, just about anything in this room next week. How, would you, how have you connected with God in this? And could we do it together? If you think we could, you shoot me an email and I, we might just give a shot. So there could be communion, lots of different worship, different kind of prayer things. We could do things around the cross. We could have boards. We could get out the whiteboards, time, and just write things that have stood out to us. Prayers. We could do the, this could be an interactive space next week. If we have lots of ideas. So if you're interested, if you have an idea, let me know. And that's where we're going to go. We have like, we have like 10 lines next week to read, so it's pretty short, okay? All right, that's first. Um, my sentence for today, as we get into it, and then a quick story, is uh, give me slide 13. No, 15. So here we are at the end, Revelation 21, 22. This is the end. But what I have been struck by is that it's not an ending that we have made it to. It is a beginning that has been beginning. So we think this is the end. I don't think it's an end. It's a beginning that, according to Jesus, has been beginning. So what John is doing, he'll talk about in a minute, he's just messing with time. He is thinking about time in a way that we do not. So as we get to the end, though, it's like that's how we read it sometimes. We made it. No. It already began. And there's so much more coming. So that doesn't make a ton of sense, but it does. So you think about your life. Think about uh, a season of your life that ended, ended, but then a new thing started and then a new thing started. So for me, my, my example came to my mind during the middle of the night last night was that I was a single person for quite a while. On July 20th of 2013, I married my wife. My singleness ended, but my life kept moving and a new thing was birthed a new thing was born my relationship with my wife and then in that relationship new things continue to happen a little girl and a little girl and all so it seems like it seems strange that this isn't this the ending of the story no so jesus said in john 17 that this is eternal life that they may know you god so if you are in Christ, if you believe in Jesus, if you said, you are my God, I'm grateful that you're God and I am not. You have moved into the ending. You've actually, and it's already breaking into the present. Because in this revelation, it's, it's just, it's, it's really strange. Time is so weird. So you have, we have hundreds of past references to bring us courage, right? We have all these future visions John is moving backwards, and he's moving forwards, and he's moving backwards, and he's moving forwards. Why? Because there's a church of 500 to 1,000 people in modern-day Turkey who are sitting under the boot of the Roman Empire, and they need hope for the moment. Revelation is to quiet fear, renew commitment, and sustain vision. They are a tiny group at this moment in their little tiny... This is one of the churches... This is actually a big one of the churches right here in this room, in this story. And he's trying to encourage them with things from the past and things from the present, and it comes together here in this moment for this church and then for us as well, I think. Because in the Revelation, let's just look. It's just so strange what happens. It seems like there's repeated victories. I think we said that before. It's like this, God keeps winning. I thought this was a chronological journey But in Revelation 4 and 5, we see this unending worship, these victorious people worshiping God. In Revelation 7, there's a multitude that is already celebrating. It's like the festival of Sukkot. I think I talked about in here where people from all tribes and tongues and languages are all coming to this certain place to celebrate. What are they celebrating? They won. Let's see. Revelation 11 in the trumpets Embedded, there's another victory. Let's look at it real fast here. Because I'm going to get worked up and I don't want to do that right now. The seventh trumpet says this. It sounded. And what do they say? The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. He will reign forever and ever. We win again. So I thought it was this. We've been arguing. It's not a chronological journey that John is on. Give me slide number six. It's this circular learning circular story. See, these writers are not Western thinkers. They are not A, B, C. That's not how they teach. That's not how, that's not how they learn. And then I thought, you know, I wonder if Jesus did this anywhere. So in Matthew, Matthew 13, Jesus tells these parables and they're all kind of the same. And they're actually all kind of about the end. There's a parable of, let's see, um, let's go to Matthew 13 real quick. Weeds, of fish, of a pearl. Listen to some of this language. Because Jesus is Hebrew. Jesus is John's rabbi. So who trained John how to teach and how to think? It was Jesus. He's thinking like this. Jesus said, let's see, there's weeds. And the story says that a farmer scatters seed. Do you, know, you might not know the story. And there's, there's, there's wheat that grows. And there is weeds that grow. You remember the story? And the people say, should we, should, we get, should we pull out the weeds? And he says, nope, 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 Jesus, Jesus. Leave it there until the end because you might not pull out the right things. Next story is about a pearl, a hidden treasure, where the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. A man found it, he hides it again where, where it was, he leaves for a while, and then he comes back to come and get it. Does this sound like revelation to you at all, this ending? Or the next story, it's about fish where a fisherman catch tons of fish. Some are good fish. Some are bad fish. The good fish are kept. The bad fish, thrown out. That's the same thing with the wheat. Some of the wheat is brought in. The rest is cast out. Jesus teaches just like this. Telling the same, same story from different vantage points over and over again, trying to help people understand what he's saying. So that, if Jesus is John's teacher... His rabbi. It would make sense that John would teach in a similar way. So time—it's not, in my opinion, chronological in the Revelation. Right? We've been saying this for weeks now. So Eugene Peterson, who I really appreciate, wrote some things about this, and I'm just going to read this for you because so I want to talk about two different kinds of time: chronos time and kairos time. Okay? So Chronos time is sequential, this day, this day, this day, and Kairos is totally different. This is what he said, John's emphasis isn't on the future as such, but it's on the present that is pregnant with futurity. We are so used to thinking of time spatially, past, present, future, as marks on a timeline, but John would have us look at time differently. He uses two words for time, Chronos and Kairos. Kronos is duration. Kairos is opportunity. We coolly measure Kronos with clocks and calendars. We passionately lose ourselves in Kairos by falling in love or leaping into faith. We must never dismiss Kronos as unimportant. Schedules and appointments are necessary in the course of living. But only by means of Kairos can we comprehend Christ's coming. If we are dominated by a sense of Kronos the future is a source of anxiety or it's a source of discontent. But if we are dominated by a sense of kairos, the future is a source of expectation that pours its energy into the present. In that view of time, nothing is remote, either in the distant past or in the future. Past and future come together in the present. This is not the ending. It's the beginning of a beginning. It's already been beginning. So what awaits us at the end is not something we're trying to get to. It's what we're trying to bring with us into this moment, which would allow 500 to 1,000 people in Rome to say, I can follow Jesus. I don't, somehow, I, I don't have to go sprinkle the incense at the temple to bend the knee to to Caesar because I got people and we're going to make it because I know what the future has in store for me. Is this making sense at all? So I've come to the end. I thought I'd be really excited. Can I be honest with you? New heaven, new earth. I found myself feeling very sober because I'm trying to imagine if I'm a church 2,000 years ago, did Jesus come? Not yet. Can you imagine? I sometimes we we win, we do win. We win. But life is still really doggone challenging. How do we live? How do we endure all the things? Death, sickness, sadness. Broken relationships, lost jobs, crazy culture, fear, anxiety, worrying about your kids. All, how, how do we do all of that? We win. I know I win. Somehow, what is in the future, is it, it comes to the present, and, we, and we, we can do this. We can do this with Jesus. But it's not like, woo, right? Man, I'm just feeling that way right now. I don't know. So I'm struck by time as we look at the end. But what gives me so much hope as I look at the story is one, is that it's a city. Which, because of the lullaby effect, I think we think, we just like, yeah, Jerusalem comes, city. When you look at the story of the Bible, it is shocking that a city comes. That's one. And two, the makeup of this city is crazy. It's crazy hopeful about who God uses to bring his kingdom. It is surprising, it is shocking, and it's exciting. So, why do I say the city is surprising? Well, I learned this in lots of religions, uh, paradise is a garden. It's more garden-like. So, if in the biblical story, a garden is good, why wouldn't paradise be a garden? Why wouldn't we go backwards? That was where it was good. It was simple. You walked in the cool of the day with God. Like, why, why don't we go back? Because in the story of the Bible, cities are something. Can you give me slide? Uh, let's see here. I got too many papers up here. Give me slide number nine. So the records of cities in Scripture is tainted. So the first person who ever made a city... If, not, if you don't know your Bible or not, if you don't, it's okay. His name is Cain. Cain killed his brother. He made the first city. And he made a city, why? Because he was scared that people were going to kill him. So you know what made a city in the Bible? A wall. That's how you made a city. A city was marked by a wall, an outside. He makes the first city. A guy who murdered his brother who was scared for his life made a city. Huh second person, his name is Lamech. Lamech kills somebody for almost no reason and then claims a blessing that Cain got from God for himself. He lived in that city. He grew the city. The next person's name is Nimrod, and he's a warrior king. You know what His city was called? Babel. And at that city, the goal was to make a name for yourself. They made this tower, which seems strange in the story, but the reason for the tower, they're trying to touch the heavens. What are they trying to do? I want to be famous. Where do people go today to get famous? I'm going to come back. I love cities. Just so you know, I'm coming back to it in just a minute. Good things happen in the city. But this is what happens in cities in the Bible. So this Babel comes. It's, I'm making a name for myself. I'm, I am God is what, this, what the tower kind of said. These are cities. But God seems to have this plan for cities. Because also in those same stories, There are people embedded in the city. They're they're musicians and they're makers and they're craftsmen and they're builders. They're making something. It's crazy. Tim Keller has this great quote, back to Genesis. Why don't we go back to a garden? He said this, we're supposed to rule and reign, slide number eight, with God in this life. Not just hang out. This is what he said ruling and reigning is. It's rearranging the raw materials in God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general People in particular thrive and flourish. So at the very beginning, people are meant to partner with God in doing that. Taking this raw, untamed world and make things. So in the city, you find people who are making things. But oftentimes in the city, people get corrupted by, what we've been reading about the whole time, power, a lust for more power and wealth. All these things are falling in Babylon, all revelation. But God's got a plan. He wants wants a garden city. So there's some people who do it well for a little bit. Can you go back to slide number nine? There's this guy named David. And David brings the ark, brings God's presence into the city. And for a time, it's beautiful, this garden city. But even David, because he's a person, fails. So what is God to do? How is he gonna create this garden city? that we read about at the end, which is going to break into the present. Well, Jesus, well, Jerusalem. Oh, man. We'll skip Jerusalem. We're going to go to Jesus. We spent a lot of time in the Sermon on the Mount last year. What does Jesus have to say about cities? And what is a city in Jesus' mind, I guess? He has this really famous line. It's in Matthew five fourteen. He says, no, you and you alone are the lie of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. You're the light. You're the city. People are supposed to see what you are doing in this life. Jesus is saying, we're gonna redeem this city. It's gonna be, it's gonna have the presence of God, the garden. And it's going to be a place where you're going to make things and do things and you're going to become who you are. All those gifts and talents that are put inside of you by God, those are all going to come to life in the presence of God. We're going to build something. And what they build is huge. Isn't that good news? Then Peter goes on to say, we talked about this, I think in August, actually. He calls us, Jesus said, you are the city, you are the light. Peter calls us living stones. You are what makes the city. You are how the kingdom gets built. Jesus working through you in all the things you do. Isn't that pretty great? That this whole faith thing's not just for this room only. It's supposed to be part of every single thing that we do. And we make, I look around him, a lot of people make lots of different things in here. I see, I see people who make people. People who make systems, people who make windows, people who make doors, people who make yards look beautiful, people who fix people's minds, make their minds work better. We're all doing different things to build the ending. It's not an ending. It's a beginning that keeps, it has been beginning and keeps beginning. It keeps on going. We're not making it somewhere. We're just joining in. How exciting is that? What a God we have. So first, the city is surprising to me. But then if you look at the city, it's really interesting. Because who does God use? I said, you, you are stones. You're living stones, right? But he goes on to say, let's look here. There's a, there are 12, let's see. Yeah, we'll start go here, okay. There are 12 gates. There are 12 foundations. The 12 gates are the 12 Tribes of Israel. Jacob's, son Jacob, Reuben, Simon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. I don't know if you know your Bible very well, but those guys are not upstanding people for most of the time. They are really broken people. They're the gates. That's what makes the city. You know, let's look at like a, a Judah. Judah, no, too long of a story. Broken people make the gates, the entry points into the city. Well, then the foundations are the 12 apostles, okay? I didn't think about this until yesterday. This Can you tell me the 12 apostles? All 12? person wrote, We all know three. If you've grown up in church, some of us know four. Most of us don't know five. We know the first three, kind of the next four. We don't know the next five. All right, listen, I'll tell you one. So Peter, James, and John, everybody knows them? If you've been going to church, you probably heard their name. Next four, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, and Matthew. Okay, probably know some of those. Listen to these last five. James, son of Alphaeus, Bartholomew, Thaddeus, Simon, the, the the, the Canaan, Matthias, Who replaced Judas Iscariot? Did you know them? If you know your Bible trivia, you might know them. Some of us, I, I forgot some of these names. They're the foundations of the city. Normal people who we don't even know anything about are the people that God uses to build this new kingdom. For those of us who feel small and insignificant. I'm just a normal person living in a little town in Iowa. What I do doesn't really matter. I would beg to differ because of this. Everything you do is significant. Everything you do builds something significant that lasts forever. What's the gladiator line? What we do in life echoes into eternity, right? A lot of little kids don't know gladiator. I do. It does, true. And God uses broken Ordinary, almost nameless people, to bring his kingdom. What an encouraging book, encouraging letter, for five hundred to a thousand people in Turkey that no one seems to care about, who can't even sell, buy, and sell things. Right? She persists. Isn't this stuff crazy? Then listen to this though. So the city. So who makes the city significant? About if you heard it in in the Revelation the whole time, the number of people in heaven is huge. It's a multitude that no one can count. John makes it very clear. We just read about it. There are some who choose, yes, I believe in Jesus. There are some who choose, no, I do not. And if you do not want him in this life, he says, okay, right? We just read it. Who is not there? Uh, the cowardly, unbelieving, all these people who, I don't want anything to do with God. Okay. But there's a lot of people who say yes, which I think we forget sometimes. But listen to how, all right, so the city. So it is, it is perfectly proportional. It's a square. So in the Old Testament, Solomon's temple has a holy of holies. It's a little square. It's like 20 by 20. Then Ezekiel has his own vision and it's bigger it's like, uh, if I got it right, a couple miles, I think. But then John, when John sees this new heaven, new earth come down, it is 12,000 stadia. That, if we don't know what stadia are, that is the whole known world. That is all of Rome. What he sees coming out of heaven is what he knows. It's how big he thinks the world kind of is it sits on top of the whole Roman Empire. It is huge and it's proportional. That means as big as it is, it is high. I read someone said this. uh, If you had 12 foot floors and it was that high, it's 600,000 floors. How many people can you fit on 600,000 floors that are 1,400 miles long and wide. That's a really big city, which would hold a lot of people. Isn't that good news? I get so stuck on where people are right now, or where I am right now, and they have a life, a whole life. I don't know how life is gonna play out. That's why I can be a person who is patient, who's urgent, but patient with them as they navigate it because we have so much hope for how many people end up turning and saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus. That is just incredible news. What a gigantic city, and it's full of light. So is perfectly proportional, is light-filled. There's no more night. It's like back to the original garden story when they didn't need the sun, they didn't need the moon. Why? Because God dwelled in the city. Peace. You know what peace is? Peace is God's presence. When you are peaceful, it's because he is present. So there is just peace. You feel just imagine how you feel when you're at home. Yesterday, we did our our thankful tree. I just sat there with my girls and looked around my house and was like, This is what I'm thankful for. It was so peaceful for a minute because I got little girls. It was a good moment. But that is going to just, and people, so the whole story people are building, they're making, they're using their gifts and their talents. It's peaceful, it's huge, there's tons of people, it's exciting, it's fun. What a place for 500 to 1,000 people who are like, oh my gosh, how are we going to make it to the end? And John's saying it's not an end it's a beginning that you have already walked into and it keeps beginning. Every new person who believes in Jesus is a new beginning. There's a new beginning. There's a new beginning. There's a new beginning. The beginnings keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Oh, it's such good news. Someone said this. What they take from the ending is that everything in life is retrievable. Everything in life is redeemable. God can do that. We believe he's that kind of God. Even in darkness, even in sadness, even in all the things that we wrestle with, our anxieties, our fears, God can still be gone. People can navigate it with him and probably still struggle with it because we're people. And we all, a lot of us end up together in this beautiful place, which would give us patience for the moment. It would, it would quiet our fears. It would renew our commitment because we have a vision that is just incredible. light, fertile Did you catch it in the passage. So here, let's do this. If you would, um, talks about along the river, along this life-giving or this garden, there's these trees and they yield fruit all the time. There's always fruit. The first Psalm, Psalm 1, talks about how we as people in this life will yield fruit in season. Seasonal, which means there's like our seasons here, there are seasons where it's dead, seasons where it's dying, seasons where there's new life, seasons where things are being harvested, there's seasons. But in this place, there are no more seasons. In this place, there is fruit always. Love, joy, peace. Our middle schoolers are in this room right now and they're working through the fruit of the Spirit. Learn about love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. They're learning about it. It never stops. We don't have dry seasons. We don't have dead seasons. And we're doing the things that we love with a lot of the people that we love in this gigantic garden city where God is at the center. You can see how if you're a small church living in Turkey, how that would be good news. But sober, it's good. But I also know what life is like now. So we don't have a false optimism. We know what life is like. But we had the ability not only to endure, but to flourish and to be different and to see things differently, to love people differently because of what we know of the ending. So, one of the things that's been really fun for me is, uh, is now, I've never sat in this revelation for this long. It's been really fun. yeah. And uh, passages in the Old Testament are just hitting me in new ways constantly right now. I see them differently, I hear them differently. So I was recently at a conference and one of the teachers said one of the significant things about for all of us is not just for a person who's talking, is that We have to make space for the word to pass through our lives. We cannot live it. We cannot share it. We cannot teach it. We cannot preach it until it has gone through me and I can give it to someone else. So having all the right answers, it's not going to do it. So I've been trying to let that happen. And so recently, I was going back through, because I think... Um, you know, it's the holidays. You miss people on the holidays. Right? So, anybody miss somebody this time of year? So I've been missing my brother who's with Jesus. And uh, I, his funeral, we read Psalm 46. I think about this church who's living through some stuff. I think about my own life. I think about the Revelation, and I read Psalm 46, and it feels different. Can I read it for you? The psalmist says this, God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way, the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with surging. That sounds like Revelation, right? All this shaking, the world is shaking. But there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. That gigantic city full of so many people who have been faithful. The holy place where the most high dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God helps at the break of day when the war, when the battle started, the break of day, when wars began, God is with her at that point in time. The nations are an upward, kingdoms fall, but he lifts his voice, Revelation 19, he says a word, evil, gone, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us, the God of old, Jacob, who has been is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolation he's brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of old, the God of Jacob, the God who has been, still is our fortress. John's just pulling on all these things to quiet our fears, to renew our commitment to God and to each other with sustained vision. Invite the band up. Let's pray. It's amazing, God. I'm amazed at your creativity at the way at where you're bringing your creation. You are building. You are making. You are expanding. We don't go backwards, no, we go forwards you bring all that is good from the past with us. What was good will be good again. It gets pulled into the present and gets pulled into the future. So to a little church in a little town, just like the church in Revelation, we can be people who know how to quiet our fears because God is with us. We can be people who can renew our commitment because God is with us. And we're all moving towards, what? A new beginning together. So I'm just find myself very grateful that you are the God of Kairos time. So I just pray in the next moments that perhaps a bit of the future would break into the present. That we would sense your presence I know that you are within many in the room but for some perhaps you are not yet and so I pray for those who you are not within yet that you would fall on them in a unique way and for those of us who have you spirit inside of us I pray that we allow you to get really big right now just in our lives and our minds and in our worship we look forward to the day when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you are King, Jesus.